Trapcast Express. Trapcast Express, it's Saturday, February 3rd, 2024. When making a response video to a podcast that criticizes you, it's typically a good idea to actually listen to the podcast first. Michael Lofton, whom we took the task in the prior episode, appears not to have done that. About 12 hours after the release of Tradcast Express 184, Lofton fired up his webcam for what ended up being a 41-minute live stream purporting to react to it. Except he didn't. Not really. He reacted merely to the title of the episode, which was Pope Francis Checkmates Michael Lofton by Permitting Invalid Anglican Mass. Not once did Lofton quote from or play an audio snippet from the podcast, which was only 18 minutes long, by the way. So, in his supposed video response, Lofton confidently explained that he hadn't been checkmated by Francis since he never claimed that a pope is impeccable. A bad move, since that wasn't our argument here at all. Rather, we were pointing out that in April of 2023, Lofton had expressed his outrage at those who had rashly accused Francis of having known about and permitted an invalid Anglican Mass that was offered in the Cathedral of St. John Lateran. How dare anyone accuse the Holy Father of that when it is clear he would never permit such a terrible thing, right? And we played the audio clips from Lofton's show of April 21st, 2023 to prove it. But now, just this past January 25th, Francis had given the explicit approval for an invalid Anglican Mass to be offered in a Catholic basilica in Rome by the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, no less, thus proving Lofton's outrage and confident assurances that the Pope would obviously never do something like that to have been without merit. That was the checkmate the title of the episode was in reference to. Anyone who's been keeping up with Francis for the last almost 11 years now would not consider it out of the question at all for him to let a Catholic church be defiled by an Anglican Eucharistic liturgy. It's only people like Lofton, whose credibility rests heavily on successfully spinning Francis into an Orthodox Catholic, who would say that's an unfounded, malicious suspicion against the Vicar of Christ. And so, for this one, Lofton took a gamble and lost. That's what the last episode, Tradcast Express 184, was about. Now, of course, Lofton is welcome to respond to our criticism of him, but then he has to actually respond to it, and that requires that he first listen to it. Yes, that can be a painful thing to do, and it takes time and real work to put together an intelligent response. But that's what I did with him, and I shall do it again now in the present podcast. So let's go ahead now and analyze Lofton's oh-so-confident non-response response step by step. After making sure everyone hits the subscribe and like buttons on this video, Lofton begins by conditioning his audience a little bit into not taking Tratcast Express 184 at face value because, 
you know, it happened to be published shortly after his own publication of an interview with a religious sister who had once been a sedevacantist and then converted to the Vatican II religion. So, obviously, Tradcast Express 184 must have been a retaliatory move against him, because, you know, that interview with the former CMRI nun, Sister Mary Eucharista, was so powerful. Here's how that sounded. Yesterday, I did that video uh, with Sister Mary Eucharista, who um, is a former set of a contest who has become Catholic and, you know, entered into full communion with the Catholic Church. And she gave her story, and it was incredibly awesome. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. I mean, just wow. 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 I really enjoyed it. I was captivated the whole time, and, and I just thought that, wow, this is a story people really need to hear. Um, and shortly after that, I, I get a text message from a viewer of the show, and they said something along the lines of, you know, the, the Nova Sordo watch guy is going to be really mad or upset about this. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and, and why does it even matter? Um, and he said, oh, watch. He'll, he, he'll be really upset, and he'll come out and say something against you. And I'm like, okay, what else is new? Uh, <laughs> but you know what? He was right shortly right after that. Uh, the Novus Ordo watch posted something and, uh, let me, let me share it on my screen. This is pretty hilarious. Uh, Pope Francis's or Pope Francis's check, Pope Francis checkmates Michael Lofton by permitting invalid Anglican mass. <laughs> I just had to laugh at that. I thought, okay, I, I must've really got to them. <laughs> I guess that interview really struck a nerve, but okay. Yeah, like I would have immediately dropped everything to listen to that interview as soon as it came out and then decided to find something stupid to slam Lofton with as retaliation and then stitched together a bunch of audios from a 2023 video and then wrote a script for it and then recorded and edited it all within a matter of a few hours. And all because that video with Sister Eucharista made me so mad. Michael Lofton, I have news for you. I had not and have still not listened to that interview, and I have no plans to do so. And if I did listen to it and it were to make me mad, I would respond to that video and not to some other video you made in 2023. So I'm sorry to disappoint but your interview with a former Satan nun had absolutely nothing to do with Tradcast Express 184. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can see how Lofton is setting the stage for the viewer, nudging him in a particular direction, more or less poisoning the well from the outset. The subtle message is, don't you be giving those Sedevacanists any credibility, they're just mad I interviewed that former Satan nun. You know, as if we didn't have our own converts from the Novus Ordo religion, including priests. Anyway, let's get back to the Lofton audio. He has a teaching moment for us. Well, you know what? This is this is a good teaching moment. This is this is pretty interesting because this demonstrates an inability to make very basic distinctions. And I will suggest to you. It is that exact reason why you have these people being said of a contest. If you are going to be a set of a contest, you suffer from an inability to make some basic theological distinctions. 
I'm sorry if that offends you, but that's the reality. I am actually amused rather than offended. So apparently Michael often thinks that we're all just a bunch of dimwits who can't tell the difference between infallibility and impeccability, who think everything a pope does is and must be perfect, and who don't even know that even the pope himself is a sinner. And so, Lofton to the rescue. Look, it's one thing if you disagree with Sedevacantism, right? It's one thing if you say you're not convinced by Sedevacantist arguments. But no one who spends even 10 minutes on the Novos Ordo Watch website, seriously looking at the content presented there, is going to come away thinking, man, those Sedevacantists sure can't draw basic theological distinctions. So, I think if anyone should be offended here, it's the people who regularly listen to Michael Lofton, because honestly, he's insulting your intelligence. And here we see it manifested in other places. <clears throat> because what this assumes is somehow that everything the Pope does is absolutely impeccable. And of course, that's not my position in any, you know, Catholic 101 course would teach you the Pope is not impeccable. Yeah, it's not our position either. And if the Pope's planner had actually listened to the podcast he means to be responding to, he would have known it. I've criticized Pope Francis. I don't agree with everything Pope Francis does. And let's just say, with this particular case, Pope Francis permits an invalid Anglican Mass. How's that a checkmate for me? Glad you asked. If you'd listened to Tradcast Express 184 the first time around, you'd already know the answer. But hopefully you know it by now, since I just summarized it a few minutes ago. It's not, because my position is not that Pope Francis is impeccable in everything that he does. My position is nuanced enough to sustain problems and even sins on parts of popes. Yes, yes, we've had popes who were... Um, fornicators. We've had popes who did all kinds of horrible things. Yeah, my, my theology can account for that because it's not this very shallow, unnuanced theology that thinks that, well, if he's pope, he has to be impeccable. So again, this inability to make distinctions is what so many set of accountists suffer from. And you see it right here. I'm glad Michael Lofton is such a nuanced scholar, but apparently not nuanced enough to actually listen to the audio he's criticizing. I mean, he just announced a position that is nowhere to be found in Tratcast Express 184. So at the end of the day, even if any of this is true, my, my point is, so that doesn't touch on my position at all. And for anybody who knows me, and knows my show, they know that I don't always agree with the Pope. I have criticized the Pope on occasions and um, in a constructive way, and I'll, I'll continue to do so when necessary. But I also don't buy into lies and slander about the Pope. And when people disseminate lies and slander, such as Novus Ordo Watch, and I've documented that on this channel, which is probably why they're a little upset, when I have documented that before and pointed that out, 
I'm not going to go along with it. I'm not going to go along with the lies and slander just because I don't think that popes are perfect doesn't mean that I somehow now have license to lie about a pope. So if people are lying about him, misleading souls, um, saying things that are entirely not true, slandering the pope, and it's leading people astray, I will respond to that. Um, as any good Catholic should. Says the man who won't even interact with a single quote from the podcast he's criticizing. He's basing everything on the title alone. How's that for carefully nuanced research to expose lies? All right. Next, Lofton brings up Pope Leo XIII's Apostolic Constitution, Apostolice Cure, declaring the invalidity of Anglican orders, and then says that since Justin Welby, the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, said from the pulpit that he had Francis's permission for offering his sacrilegious pseudo-Eucharist there in St. Bartholomew's Basilica, he will accept that at face value and believe him. Okay, so far so good. Then Lofton continues as follows. Um, so a couple things going on here. Let's just say that this is the worst case scenario. Okay. It would just mean Pope Francis is wrong. Oh, really? No big deal. It would just mean Francis is wrong, huh? Funny, but that sounded a bit different in April of last year when Taylor Marshall and others on social media accused Francis of doing this very thing, giving permission for an invalid Anglican mass to be celebrated in a Roman basilica. Michael Lofton was beside himself. Here are some clips stitched together from his April 21st, 2023 video, Taylor Marshall Spreads Lie About Pope and Anglican Mass. And by the way, I am by no means a Taylor Marshall fan. Hey everybody, welcome back to Reason and Theology. Your host, Michael, on a Friday, I want to review Taylor Marshall's video uh, spreading the lie that Pope Francis allowed a fake mass by a fake bishop on an altar in Rome. However, I do agree that it would be a fake mass and a uh, fake bishop since it was an Anglican bishop who celebrated the liturgy, which I think is tragic. That certainly should not have been um, allowed. And however this happened, there was somebody who certainly dropped the ball in light of the fact that Anglican masses are invalid per Pope Leo XIII due to the invalidity of their order. So this is certainly an issue. It needs to be corrected. It doesn't ever need to happen again because at the end of the day, this is simulating a mass. It's not actually a mass itself. So I agree with the fake mass and fake bishop part, but the claim is Pope Francis allowed it to take place at St. John Lateran's Basilica. And this is a lie. Uh, this is spreading a lie, misinformation, and stirring people up in their passions to get people all, um, you know, angry and upset with Pope Francis. And of course, this lie is spreading all over social media. And now, as you could imagine, the orthobros, that is, some of the more toxic online orthodox apologists, are trying to use this against catholic and saying you know look your pope approves of fake anglican masses and stuff like that and um so they're of course watching radical traditionalist catholics who are spreading this lie and they're trying to use it against us so once again the radical traditionalists are wreaking havoc upon the church stirring people's passions up and 
falsely accusing the Holy Father. Truly tragic. The enemies of the church are now using this against the Catholic Church to mock the Catholic Church. They are watching this stuff, and they're using it as ammunition against the Catholic Church. Look, looks like the people who are in charge of booking at St. John Lateran's, yeah. Whoever made this mistake probably needs to be fired, and you need to get somebody more reliable. Just, just FYI. <laughs> If if you're booking people who aren't actually valid priests and bishops to celebrate liturgies on a Catholic altar, you you might need to get somebody else in charge. So there, there's certainly some fault uh, here with whoever did it, but but it can't be blamed on Pope Francis or any of the dicasteries that represent him, frankly. Let's just make sure this doesn't happen again. Can, can we do that? That'd be helpful. So now Lofton would have us believe that there's really nothing to see here. Francis was wrong. He sinned. Well, then why didn't Lofton in April of last year simply criticize those who were accusing Francis of rushing to judgment without sufficient evidence? Why then was there outrage? Ah, we know, because he considered it beyond the pale that Francis would do such a thing. He said that those evil trads are calumniating Francis in order to get people all riled up, and that this is something the enemies of the church are now using in their argumentation against Catholicism. So he was blaming the trads for giving powerful ammunition to non-Catholics to argue against Catholicism. So why is Lofton not now outraged at Francis for giving powerful ammunition to non-Catholics to argue against Catholicism? See, this is what's so reprehensible about the kind of pope-splaining Lofton does. He spins based on the need of the moment. Last year, since there was no real evidence that Francis himself had permitted the invalid mass, it was easy for Lofton to argue that the pope would never do such a thing. Well, now that Francis clearly just did permit such a sacrilege, the emphasis is on, well, he's a sinner too. Well, nothing to see here. Move along. But let's understand what just happened here. The supposed Pope, Vicar of Christ, and Supreme Pontiff of the Roman Catholic Church established by Jesus Christ permitted a heretical and schismatic layman to publicly simulate the offering of Mass on a Catholic altar of a historic Roman basilica. What a scandal. So when a traditionalist blogger or YouTuber or even a Novus Ordo cardinal criticizes Francis, poof, there is Michael Lofton denouncing them. But when the supposed Pope authorizes an abomination in a Catholic basilica, there is silence from Lofton. I mean, sure, he mentioned it now in his January 31st podcast, but only in response to Trotcast Express 184. And then he's not really outraged. He's just trying to spin it all as favorably to Francis as possible, all the while criticizing a State of Acantis podcast he didn't even listen to. Last April, when he was able to deny that Francis had anything to do with it, Lofton threw his entire weight behind the false pope to defend him. Whereas now that Francis just checkmated him, he makes it seem like it's really nothing 
to lose sleep over. Well, obviously, as the facts now show, permitting an invalid Anglican bread and wine service to be offered in a Catholic church is something Francis has no problem with. And those who believed he was guilty of it last April have been vindicated in their suspicion of him. Lofton was simply wrong to say that it would have been a firm no if Francis had been asked to give permission, and he should at least acknowledge that much. Remember, here's what Lofton said on April 21st, 2023. I think the dicastery, uh, one of the dicasteries, if not the Holy Father himself, should have been involved in making this decision, which would have been a firm no. But since they weren't involved, and this shows you they weren't involved, Pope Francis wasn't involved, and none of the dicasteries were involved, you know, you can't blame this on Pope Francis um, or any of his direct representatives in the dicastery. Yeah, well, bailing out Francis has its risks. What you confidently assert today, you may just have to eat tomorrow. Let's return to Lofton's January 31st, 2024 audio. Let's go even more worst case scenario. Let, let's go to the uh, extent that Pope Francis personally believes that Apostolica Curie um, is, is, is somehow... Um, not definitive in nature you know let, let's say he denies that okay you would just simply argue he's wrong by the way that wouldn't even make him a heretic you would have to deny a, a first paragraph teaching not a second paragraph to be a heretic it would mean he's an heir if only lofton had listened to tradcast express 184 he would have known that that didn't even come up at all. At no point did I argue that this means Francis believes Anglican orders are valid, or that it would make him a heretic if he did believe that. Honestly, I don't think Bergoglio gives a hoot about any of this, validity or invalidity. He probably doesn't even believe in God. For the next audio clip, listen closely to what Lofton says about a pope and being a heretic. As I've noted many times on this show, you can even go a step further than that. A pope can privately be a heretic. Um, pretty much everybody agrees. Um, I don't really know anybody who would dispute that. Even Bellarmine, who takes a really, really uh, high view of the papacy and doesn't believe that any pope would ever teach heresy, he does believe and did believe that a pope could materially be a heretic. Ouch. <laughs> Boy, that was bad. Notice how Lofton just went from a pope being a heretic privately to being a heretic materially, as if they were the same thing or even closely related. They're different categories altogether. But as far as whether it is possible for a pope to be a heretic, I'm talking about a genuine formal heretic, in his capacity as a private person, meaning not in his official acts as Pope, especially not in his magisterium, St. Robert Bellarmine said that it is probably not possible, but it cannot be proved that it's not possible, and therefore he considered what consequences would follow if it did happen. Such a heretical Pope would immediately cease to be Pope by the very fact itself, without any kind of declaration or official judgment. 
I'm putting the link in the show notes for this so you can read it for yourself. It's discussed by Bellarmine in chapters 6 and 7 of part 4 of his work De Romano Pontifice on the Roman Pontiff. Now, returning to the issue of Francis giving permission to Justin Welby to offer an invalid Anglican Mass, Lofton says this. Pope Francis gave him permission to celebrate this. Number one, you're assuming that he somehow thinks that it's a valid Mass. I'm going to show you something here in a moment that will put that into question. Uh, no, I am not assuming that at all. And if Lofton had actually listened to the podcast instead of just reading the title, he would have known it. Talk about assuming stuff. But again, let's just say he thinks it's a valid mess. Okay. Popes can be wrong. That's not the same as teaching air. Yes, I know. And I never said otherwise. See, these are basic distinctions we have to learn to make. And if we don't make them, we'll end up becoming set of a contest like this Mario guy at Novus Ordo Watch. Basic distinctions. You know, like what he just did by equating being a material heretic with being a private heretic. But again, he's refuting an argument that was never made. But he doesn't know that because he didn't bother listening to the podcast to which he's responding. Next, Lofton moves on to another gigantic red herring. Listen to this. A number of people have pointed out to me, and I've, I've found it helpful, that there have been some factual changes in the situation with Anglicans since the time of 1896. Since that time, there has been an introduction of valid orders into Anglicanism, pockets of Anglicanism, through Old Catholics and also Eastern Orthodox. How widespread that has been is a different question. But some argue that it's actually become pretty prevalent. So the situation that Leo XIII was analyzing some would argue, is very different than today because now you have this new phenomenon where some of these Anglican people have received orders from communions who do have valid apostolic succession and valid orders, such as Old Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. I'll just give you just one example of this, and that is most recently we know of Calvin Robinson. Well, you look on his profile, he says old right orders or old Catholic orders. He received his orders through the old Catholics, through that lineage. Uh, and therefore he would have valid orders, it would seem. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Not all old Catholic orders are valid, Mr. Lofton. Some are, some are not. The so-called Old Catholics, for those who don't know, are a liberal sect that developed in 1870 or 71 in response to the First Vatican Council, whose dogma of papal infallibility they refused to accept. Anyway, why do I say that's a red herring? 
Very simple. Because what Michael Lofton brings up here does not pertain to the Anglican Church in general, but merely to individual clerics specifically, who for whatever reason had, in their particular case, received a valid ordination. Right? Possibly. It would depend on whether the Anglican ordination rite itself is valid or not. Because if it isn't, then it doesn't matter if a valid bishop is involved, if the right itself is defective. And, and frankly, I, I don't know the issue well enough without researching uh, to know whether the right itself, as it is done at this point, uh, is valid or not. I just don't know. So the point is, though, that unless Michael Lofton can demonstrate that Justin Welby is one of those special cases that has valid orders, even though he is an Anglican, then what he's saying here is irrelevant. Unless maybe he wants to argue that out of the 49 other clerics that accompanied Welby and presumably can celebrate it with him, at least one of them was valid and that that would have made it a valid mass. But even that argument would not hold water because the scandal is that Justin Welby very specifically was given permission, not a horde of other priests or bishops. Furthermore, in order to prevent scandal, the Vatican would have had to publicize that Justin Welby is a valid bishop despite the general invalidity of Anglican orders. And lastly, of course, it would still be a horrendous scandal and sacrilege to allow a valid Anglican bishop to offer a Eucharistic liturgy in a Catholic basilica since validity is not the only criterion at play here. Valid or not, it is still the official worship of a heretical and schismatic religion. Then, skipping ahead a bit, Lofton uses in his defense the Directory for the Application of Principles and Norms on Ecumenism. Paragraph 137 of that lengthy document allows for a Catholic Church to be used, under certain circumstances, by heretics and schismatics for their liturgical celebrations. But of course, there is a little problem. The document was promulgated in 1993 by John Paul II. Does Lofton really think he can respond to Sede Vacantis with a document of the Novus Ordo Magisterium? In fact, on Novus Ordo Watch, we've used that very document and its evil laws as proof that John Paul II cannot have been a valid pope and the Vatican II Church cannot be the Roman Catholic Church. But wait, it gets better. Lofton doesn't realize it, but by appealing to that document, he just shot himself in the foot. Here's what he said in summary, what appealing to this document proves it does show at the very least in cases where a person might not have access to a building the church could allow for the use of its property not only for priests but even just ministers and that would include people with invalid orders did you notice it lofton went from blasting people who dared to accuse francis of permitting an anglican bishop to offer an invalid mass in a catholic cathedral last april and thereby stirring up people's passions to telling us that, well, worst case scenario is Francis is wrong and he sinned, to now telling us that, hey, this is basically permitted by the church, so relax. And it gets worse still. 
if we take Lofton's worst-case scenario seriously, that Francis sinned by doing that because it's a sin to allow an invalid mass to be offered by a heretical minister in a Catholic church, then he just admitted that his Vatican II church has made the sin into a universal disciplinary law by including this permission in paragraph 137 of the Directory for the Application of Principles and Norms on Ecumenism, solemnly promulgated by Saint John Paul II. And by the way, in true Catholicism, universal disciplinary laws promulgated by the Sovereign Pontiff are infallible, proving that John Paul II could not have been a valid pope and the Novus Ordo sect cannot be the Roman Catholic Church. Thank you, Michael Lofton. All right, skipping ahead some more, we find that Lofton also enlists the help of then-Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. Here it's noted on Anglican Order's Bishop Rowell quotes Cardinal Ratzinger as saying, We cannot do anything about Leo XIII's words, but there are, however, other ways of looking at things. While the Pope Emeritus does not follow up with any suggestions, he does accept that Anglican Eucharistic services have value. Quote, when an ecclesial community with its ordained ministry, in obedience to the Lord's command, celebrates the Eucharist, the faithful are caught into the heavenly places and their feed on Christ, he says. Now, you, you may not be aware of that, but that was Ratzinger's view. Ratzinger would say, okay, maybe some of them don't have valid orders, because again, he would say some of them do if they have, you know, orders through the old Catholics. But those who don't, okay, sure, Leo the Thirteenth, what he's saying is true, not valid, but he's still saying, but there's still you val there's still value to what they're doing. They feed on Christ spiritually, though not through um the physical means in the way that we do, uh, through the uh, dogma of transubstantiation. Yeah, and that is not surprising that the uber-modernist Ratzinger would have said that. It is all part and parcel of the subjectivism of Vatican II and the new ecclesiology. So, congratulations, Michael Often, you have again used a Novus Ordo prelate, a heretic of the worst sort, the man who later became Pope Benedict XVI, in defense of your position against Sedevacantism. That makes as much sense as appealing to the Bible when arguing with an atheist. By the way, this piece of nonsense from Ratzinger regarding the value of Anglican services beautifully shows the direct and irreconcilable contradiction with the true pre-Vatican II Catholic magisterium. What you find before Vatican II is that the official worship of a heretical sect is false worship gravely offends God, and is a mortal sin, objectively speaking. The Vatican II modernists have turned that into something positive, something that has value before God. By the way, we're talking about a religion that was founded by King Henry VIII because the Pope refused to declare his valid marriage null and void. We're talking about a religion that killed St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher and blessed Edmund Campion. The worship of that religion is an abomination to God. 
God holds his nose at their worship. Again, objectively speaking. Yes, a particular individual who is innocently trapped in the Anglican religion, think especially of young children who don't know any better, could be subjectively pleasing to God, but that would be in spite of the Anglican religion and certainly not because of it. By the way, let's listen again to what Michael often thought about an invalid mass being offered in a Catholic church in 2023. I do agree that it would be a fake mass and a uh, fake bishop since it was an Anglican bishop who celebrated the liturgy, which I think is tragic. That certainly should not have been um, allowed. And however this happened, there was somebody who certainly dropped the ball in light of the fact that Anglican masses are invalid per Pope Leo XIII due to the invalidity of their order. So this is certainly an issue. It needs to be corrected. It doesn't ever need to happen again because at the end of the day, this is simulating a mass. It's not actually a mass itself. So I agree with the fake mass and fake bishop part, but the claim is Pope Francis allowed it to take place at St. John Lateran's Basilica. And this is a lie. That just didn't age well, did it? Since you do have this position that many Catholics have put forward that, okay, perhaps this isn't a valid mass, but it still has value. Is that what's going on with Pope Francis? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. You know, it really doesn't matter what Francis was thinking because either way, it's all garbage. Okay. Nothing could justify allowing the Archlamen of Canterbury to celebrate an Anglican liturgy in the Catholic Church. Nothing. Next, after exhorting Sedevacantists not to be such sloppy thinkers, our nuanced theological scholar reminds us that the worst-case scenario is that Francis is wrong on this, and in any case... That doesn't translate into his magisterium is invalid, or he teaches heresy in his magisterium, or he teaches error in his magisterium. That's right, and that's why I didn't make such a stupid argument in the first place. It's too bad Lofton didn't listen to the podcast he's pretending to refute. Next, he brings up the fact that in 2015, Francis gave a Eucharistic patent and chalice to a Lutheran minister in Rome. The man's name is Jens Martin Kruse, just for the record. Here, Lofton has another brilliant response. Well, you know what? That's not new. Not new. Uh, this is brought up. This is something that we've seen with Paul VI. Well, that changes everything. It's not a new thing Bergoglio did, as if anybody had claimed that it was. No, you see, one of the other false popes did it before Francis, Paul VI, in 1966. So there. Thank you again, Michael Lofton, for helping us make our case. Ah, but then he concedes that this isn't an argument he can use against Sedevacantists, since we don't accept Paul VI as a valid pope either. I'm speaking more to Catholics who haven't yet embraced the very irrational position of Sedevacantism. Got it. See, I thought his podcast was about reason and theology rather than just keeping Bergoglio adherents loyal to Bergoglio. But then that would explain why he didn't bother listening to or interacting with the content of Tratcast Express 184. He's simply counting on his viewers not to listen to it either.
And now I want to end this podcast with another Lofton clip taken from somewhere in the middle of the very same video we've been dissecting here. Sorry, guys. I know those of y'all who really, really don't like me were expecting this to somehow be a checkmate or a defeat for my position. It's not. It just means it's a checkmate for what you thought, I believe, because you were too lazy to actually pay attention to what I actually say. Well, if that isn't the pot calling the kettle black. Congratulations, Michael Lofton. First, Francis checkmated you, and now you just checkmated yourself. Tratcast Express is a production of Novus Ordo Watch. Check us out at tratcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novusordowatch.org slash donate.